Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We're delighted to have you here with us. Please pick up the pew pads at the end of the pews and sign your name so that we can greet each other by name at the end of the service. If you wish to speak with a Stephen minister today, the Stephen minister on duty is Alice Sweatman, and she'll be in the back at the end of the service. Take a look at the bulletin. There's lots of announcements of events coming up. And please join us in Fellowship Hall for yummy donuts and some, a few healthy choices as well. So, you know, thank you. Well, with that glorious ode to joy, we can continue in joyful gratitude to the God who made us so beautifully. Using Psalm 19 as a responsive call to worship, please join me. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat.
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Let us worship God. Please join me in the prayer of the day. Self-revealing God, we believe that you spoke creation into existence. Although our Lord was present in the beginning, in the fullness of time, 
you sent our Christ into human dimensions of time and space. As individuals, church, family, and society continue to rely on your creative word. Open our minds to understand your word this day. Open our hearts to love your word and our lives to be obedient to your word. Through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I have a group of books over here. Some of them go back to 1811. They are old minute books of the session here. We had read in them where there were times when the clerk would place a stool in the front of the church and charges would be brought against members of the church because they had not had communion. And I thought, we've come a long way into what we recognize as sinfulness. But we have sinned with far greater sin than missing a communion service. And so we use these printed words as our prayer. Creating God, your word calls and names us. Guided and sustained, loved and forgiven us countless times in our history. Yet we have not worshipped and loved you faithfully or trusted and served you with acts of gratitude and devotion as we ought. We fail to give you the praise you are due. Please forgive our sin, especially when we have relegated your word to an era of the past, behaving as though it has little relevance for our day. Forgive us for being inattentive, if not closed, to your revelations, for neglecting to listen to your wisdom, and for independently going our own way, sometimes to our own detriment. How often you have saved us. We have tried to appear busy and ignore your loving warnings in Scripture. Your word invites us to let go of our opinions and be recreated according to your will. Forgive our refusals and blocking behaviors that wall out your purpose of love and care. In Jesus Christ, God's word of forgiveness is irrefutably spoken. To us who have been convicted of our sin and who have made a sincere confession, this gracious word is healing and restoring. It is new life and eternal hope. Thanks be to God. seated. Reading from the prophet Nehemiah. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month, 
He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform, and he read the word of the Lord. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And it was wonderful. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite children to join me up on the stairs. And I am going to try and draw a picture of Jesus. the body of Christ in the world today. So this is the picture. And it's one person, right, made up of a lot of people. Let's show, shall we show everybody else what our picture looks like? Yeah, because they don't know what we're looking at. This is the picture of Jesus. One person made up of many. And we're going to read the Bible, a passage like this. And if one of these people stood for you, would you all be part of the body of Christ? Yeah, you're all part of Christ's body and individually members of it. So whenever we get together like this, who's present? Jesus is, right? Jesus is present because Jesus is made up in the world today of all of us. Pretty interesting stuff. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunity to be a part of your body in the world. Now we ask that you will bless us, not only as we worship today, but as we study and, and learn more about you. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming up. I hope you have a great time at Sunday School. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our epistle lesson for today fleshes out what we have just seen. I invite you to hear God's word to you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third, teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. 
We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other, we will work side by side. We will work with each other, we will work side by side. And we'll guard human dignity and save human pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Oh, praise to the Father from whom things come, and all praise to Christ Jesus, God's only Son, and all praise to the Spirit who makes us and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by Please join me in our unison collect for today. Holy One, we thank you for the gift of the Bible, for its psalms and poems, myths and stories, histories, teachings, and prophecies. May the Holy Spirit, who inspired those ancient writings, continue to enthuse today that our life together as Christ's body might reflect the first sermon of Jesus our crucified and risen Christ, who brings good news to the poor and frees the oppressed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he then said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, James and Choir, that was wonderful. Martha has been on the brink of shuddering when I start to flip through the classified advertising sections of the paper. Sometimes when I read things on Craigslist. I think that she is fearful that an advertisement with the words adorable, cute, puppy to good home will leap from the page to the imagination and from there to my response. But you sometimes spot some pretty unusual stuff there. And I spied a short help-wanted advertisement. It read this way. Needed. Co-author for book on self-reliance. <laughs> and I thought, well, well that's a c- contradiction. It kind of describes me sometimes, describes us. We are the most individualistic people on earth. We celebrate the loners and the nonconformists. We walk around tethered to electronic devices so that we don't actually have to look at people. But in our pursuit of self-reliance, we ignore our human need for belonging. We were made to be incomplete on our own. That was part of God's design for humanity. God made us with a profound need for communion with God and with others. Songwriter of the 1960s put it this way, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Barbara Streisand might have been more accurate if she'd sung, people who admit they need people are the luckiest people in the world. Can anyone really make it in this world totally by themselves? Find a person living as a hermit and you will find someone who is emotionally and socially stunted. Many of us have neglected our needs for communication, for intimacy, and for fellowship. And we wonder then why we feel so empty why our friendships never seem to go below the surface. I mean, who do you call at 2 a.m. when you can't quiet your mind and you need someone with whom to talk? Why are we so afraid to need one another? And I suppose that this is not just a modern problem. It's probably why the Apostle Paul would have used the metaphor of a human body with each part requiring each other part to describe what a faith community ought to be. It ought to be a place where the eye is as necessary as the foot as is the hand. And what has brought us together today? I suppose some of us could say we've come to see our friends. Others have had an assignment like ushering or putting out the donut holes. That's very important here. But at the bottom of it, we must admit that we are here because of God. How does God convene us? We are convened by the word of God. God just uses words. 
In Genesis, when God began creating the world, how did God do that? With a word. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Just by speaking, God creates. We have come to hear the word of God and we use those words that the church has used for hundreds of years after reading scripture. The word of the Lord. They hurt. They teach. They sanctify. They were humanity's first immeasurable feat of magic. They liberated us from ignorance and our barbarous past. For without marvelous scribbles which build letters into words and words into sentences and sentences into systems and sciences and creeds, humankind would forever be confined to being as self-isolated in a prison like the cuttlefish. Picture is worth 10,000 words. That's the Chinese proverb. But one writer tartly says, we live by words. Love, truth, God. We fight for words. Freedom, country, justice. We die for words. Liberty, glory, honor. They bestow the priceless gift of articulacy on our minds and on our hearts, from mama to infinity. And those who truly shape our destiny, the giants who teach us, inspire us, lead us, are those who have used words with clarity and grandeur and passion. They are Socrates and Jesus and Luther and Lincoln and Churchill. Now, those are not my words. Those are the thoughts of Leo Rostin in his essay, The Power of Words. Words have power. Leo Rostin will go on further to note that without words, we not only can't read and can't write, we can't even think. We think in words. Mail carrier paused for a moment to visit with a five-year-old lad about his baby sister, who was soon to be about a year and a half. And having discussed with the little boy the wonder of having a sibling, he said, well, tell me now, can she talk? He says, no. She has some teeth, but her words haven't come in yet. <laughs> in William Luce's masterful play, The Bell of Amherst, Emily Dickinson, an outstanding poet of the 19th century, is presented as one who loves and reverences words. When she hears such words as circumference or Massachusetts or gingerbread, she cries, Now there's a word to which you can lift your hat. We seldom lift our hats to much of anything anymore. You know, it used to be a sign of reverence and admiration and respect. Indeed, there was a time when men did not wear their hats inside of buildings as a sign of respect. But today we see lots of people who do so, not because they're being disrespectful, but because those forms of civility are no longer taught. We feel it's our right, pretty much always, to do as we please. 
We don't need any civil social conventions. Now, religion is tied more closely to anything else than it is to words. Especially our Christian faith. What other tradition relies as heavily on the word and words? Words at first spoken and then gathered into scrolls and books of scripture. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. You can read that in the Psalms. But words can become so constructed and indeed receive their utterance as to be words which constrain and shape and bring order. The Old Testament, although it is a compendium of Israel's history filled with odes and poems and sermons and dreams and prophecies and psalms, is known because its words contain law. And law is mine you can get out of hand. We can become overregulated. Just consider your life today. The radio that wakes you is regulated by the Federal Communications Commission. Your bacon and egg breakfast has to conform to the Food and Drug Administration and the U.S. Department of Agricultural Standard. And when you pick up the telephone, it's by the grace of the Public Utilities Commission. The ingredients in your toothpaste are government-approved, and the label on the tube conveys what government dictates. You get into your car, about half of which was designed by government laws, and you fasten your seatbelt prescribed by law, drive at legally prescribed speeds, stoplights and signs, designed and designated and installed by law, and park only where the law says it's okay. Every store you enter must be licensed, and the products available are probably cleared by the Product Safety Commission, the Federal Trade Commission, and the Food and Drug Administration, and a long list of other regulatory bodies who have decided for you what you may lawfully buy and use. The goods you buy are transported on trucks and vessels and planes, regulated by the ICC, the Interstate Commerce Commission, and the FAA, in addition to local laws exerted by the PUC and NYDOT. The house you live in is a conglomerate of regulations from its design to its structural members. You cannot even put up a fence on your property without a permit. And just when you think that you might at least sleep peaceably away from this intrusion, you find attached to your pillow a little tag which says, Do not remove under penalty of law. Well, actually, I am grateful that there are a number of these agencies and laws. It's nice that when people decide they want to drive in a car, they stay to the right-hand side of the road. But this amalgam of ordinance and legislation and edict and rule and code can drive us nuts. It can be a sad commentary that much of the legislation that has been designed for our protection has been done so in the name of freedom because in the name of freedom, some have chosen to abuse their freedom. Tens of thousands of American Indians moved or massacred by law. Hundreds of thousands of Africans were enslaved by law. 
Thousands of boat people were set adrift by law. Russians by the battalion and regiment and company were ground under tank trucks by law. Ugandans and Kenyans and Sudanese and Rwandans were murdered by law. All nice and legal and absolute. I once read a tongue-in-cheek report about terrorists who had hijacked a busload of attorneys. They said if their demands were not met, they would release one each hour. We can belittle them and make jokes about them until we need one. And the lawyers I know are trying to do something important for our society. It's so sad that this profession is being scrutinized as one which needlessly adds to the complexity and vexatiousness of modern life. What has caused this jaundiced view of lawyers and the law? Probably because we have really forsaken the ways and insight and the word of God. A very normal ordering of life under the noble good rules of ancient Hebrews, what they discovered. And we've abandoned much of the good that was there. You can see how rules can constrain and conflict a little girl. Well, she was playing in the backyard, and the pastor came to visit. And he was uh, out on the patio with her parents. The adults were there. She was a thoughtful, obedient little girl, and um, the parents were proud of their daughter. The pastor agreed. Later, she came onto the patio from playing in the yard, and she sat on the settee, one leg hanging down, the other on the settee, and mother said, Helen, how do you sit? Take your leg off the seat. A girl should never sit like that. She put her leg down, at which her skirt flew high above her knees, and the mother said, Helen, pull your skirt down. One can see everything. Helen blushed, and she looked down at herself, and she pulled her skirt down, and she asked, Why, Mommy, what's wrong? And the mother looked at her with shocking stare and said, One does not do that. By this time, the atmosphere, which had been so relaxed around the iced tea and the patio, became very uncomfortable. And the little girl not only had her legs down, she had them pressed against each other, and her shoulders had gone up, and she held her arms tight against her little body. And this went on until she could stand it no longer, and she stretched and she yawned. And a storm of more indignation came from her mom. By th- This was only ten minutes. The child had changed completely. Her gracefulness had turned into awkwardness. All her motions were stilled. Her body was tense. She hardly seemed alive anymore. 
The mother had figured out how to repress her naturalness under a barrage of rules and laws and social acceptability. Now, I have no intention of arguing against social acceptability, for it seems to me we've been losing respect and civility in our current culture. But I do want us to see how the attitude and application and inappropriate chastisements with conventions of every kind can sour the air. Why is it that in our current culture we seek to spend more time affixing blame than fixing problems? There's lead in the water in Flint, Michigan. Every day this past week, I got to hear about the search for who to blame and who to fire, but I have yet to hear a single word about how the problem might be fixed. Why is there such a prideful desire to publicly denigrate others in order to affirm our own self-esteem? Religious rules can have the same deadening, joy-sapping, shame-induced effect as this mom. It happened in Bible times. People were ordered when to pray, what to eat, where to travel, how to farm, when to fish, what to obey. You know, in a Hebrew period of time, people went and bought parcels of land that were the size of a postage stamp. You know why they did that? Because there was a rule about not working on the Sabbath or Sunday or Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And if you walked more than a Sabbath day journey, you had done work and it was inappropriate and you had broken the law. So in order to not break the law, people went out and bought postage stamp sizes of property all over the country. That way they could walk to their land and step on it and walk wherever they wanted to and never break the law. Do you know who told him it was nuts? Jesus. And you know where that got him? One day, a long time ago, the Israelites were carried away into captivity and then they got to return. And guess what the greatest joy was? To rediscover God's word. It's referred to as the Law of Moses. It really means the Torah, the first five books. And those books are filled with a lot more than just law. There are poems there and there are odes. There's histories and genealogies. There's lots of begats. I always claimed that the begats were dull to read and fun to do. But they're there. They stood for four hours. They requested that this book, which had been misplaced and set aside would now be read so everyone who could understand gathered and they listened to the word of God read. It was read in front of the water gate. The text tells us, and all the people wept when they heard these words. Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions of them for those for whom nothing is prepared. And they rejoiced. Now, I was surprised, you know, to come across this text which comes in our lectionary and see that this reading reading was done in front of the Watergate. I will bet you dollars to donuts 
that this was a very well-read text 45 years ago in this country, only because the word Watergate appears in it. It's been almost 45 years ago that the Watergate affair happened with the White House political scandal that came to light during the 1972 presidential campaign. And the term Watergate grew out of the break-in at the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate apartment office complex in D.C. And whenever Martha and I go to Washington, D.C., we usually stay at the George Washington University Inn. It's a great place to stay. It looks like it's in the middle of a residential area. The rooms are fairly cheap and nice and all have their own kitchens. But it was from that hotel that the surveillance done was done on the Watergate Hotel. And every time I stay there, I say to Martha, I wonder if this was the room. <laughs> Young Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein serve a great deal of credit for uncovering the details of the scandal. And their reporting won them a Pulitzer Prize and was the basis of their best-selling book, All the President's Men, which was eventually made into a movie. And... Um, um, Bob Woodward was really played by um, Robert Redford. And one day, Martha and I were blessed to have lunch with Bob Woodward, and his daughter came in to the dining room, and she said, I hear that Robert Redford is coming for lunch tomorrow. And he said, yes. She says, well, I don't like him. I don't like the way he played you, Dad. I imagine from 1972 to 1974, there were a great many sermons with Ezra and Nehemiah and the Torah read in front of the Watergate. But I suspect that the word Watergate that crept into our language and the language of the Israelite people had a very different meaning long ago than it does for us today. The word Watergate in the Old Testament meant a place of wonderful joy and rediscovery and open sharing, not a cover-up, but an uncovering of the Word of God. We need God's Word because God's Word gives us an overall philosophical moral structure to our lives. I think that there are two kinds of happiness There is feel-good happiness, and there is value-based happiness. Most of us pursue feel-good happiness, which is based on good sensations and positive circumstances. And when you eat a hot fudge sundae and you hit a home run and you enjoy some intimate time with your spouse, you experience feel-good happiness. And that's important for our well-being. But value-based happiness comes from the sense that your life has meaning and purpose. Raising a child, contributing to a charity, standing up for high ideals, all of these inspire value-based happiness. And people who experience value-based happiness can find great joy in simple pleasure and renew those feelings of happiness 
every time they feel their life has meaning and purpose. And it becomes even more so when people feel that their lives are attuned with the word of God. It's one of the reasons why you're here. People who pursue feel-good happiness alone will soon find that they lead larger and larger doses of that sensation in order to experience the same level of happiness, just as an addict needs larger and larger doses of a drug in order to get high. As we age, we may have fewer opportunities for feel-good happiness, but the opportunities for value based joy will grow. And those values we find in the word of God. So it's wonderful that you've come to have them read. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to send me to reclaim release to the captives, Recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. I think that this is the point in the Bible where Jesus reveals why he came to earth. His ethics are here, his purpose is here. And to have it read, reminds us of something we can do to make the world more valuable. To proclaim release to captives? I don't know. It's not just people in jail, I'm sure, but people who are captive to almost any kind of addiction. To bring good news to the poor? Yes, I think it's the poor in spirit but it's also probably the poor who don't know the word of God and probably those who have no money. It's really a call to mission, isn't it? This is a Watergate day, a time to come. If we were more Presbyterian, I suppose we'd do a little more hand-waving woman tells about a jazz concert in New Orleans. Everyone was enjoying the music. And she and her husband were distracted by a young boy in the front row who was waving his arms to the beat of the music. A few moments of observation revealed that this young man had cerebral palsy. His constant waving was a sign of his enjoyment. But after a short intermission the band's sensitive leader announced that audience participation would be required in the next song. And he directed the audience to wave their arms to the beat of the music. And soon the audience melted into a sea of smiles and waving arms, and there was no more tension over the boys' differentness. And the woman later writes, in spirit, we had become one. For a few moments that night, a boy with a handicapping condition showed a group of sophisticated music lovers how to really appreciate 
jazz. We need to have a Watergate affair of biblical proportions. If we do, the world will be changed. There's a prayer in our bulletin we can use today. Loving God, may our gifts speak a caring word to those who need to hear one. May our lives be a communication of your love revealed through us for the building up of Christ's reign of peace, justice, and mercy upon earth. Amen. We give thanks for the beautiful flowers that you see in the chancel this morning. They are in remembrance of the life of Marty Souter and the mission to which he dedicated himself from the time that he was an Eagle Scout right throughout his 95 years of being on this earth. We also give thanks for the deacons who we welcome to take the flowers afterwards so that they can be shared and that joy and that life can continue to live on in the joy and life of others. 
We give thanks that deacons band together. We sent out a prayer request on Friday that Ken Anderson was going to have surgery on Monday. And Ken, you got so overwhelmed with people offering you rides. Have you figured out which hour somebody's going to take you where? Yeah, you're, you're set. Pray for the surgeon. We give thanks and praise that so many people have been helping out with many who have needed healing lately. We have a prayer request for the students and community at SUNY Geneseo. Many of you know of the tragedy that struck there last weekend with the apparent murder-suicide. What you may not know is that David Irwin in our congregation has been uh, at the leadership of SUNY Geneseo and helping that community come through this awful tragedy. And so we pray for David and the entire community in their grief and in their rebuilding. We also are thankful, Rick Young, that your eye has been rebuilt and that we're here to see you and that you are here to see us. We give thanks also for Bud Miller's heart having gotten strengthened after having a tachycardia experience and having his heart surgeon bride along with him to make certain that he would get to the hospital and be carefully taken care of. We're thankful also that Ken Garman was able to be taken to the hospital this weekend, and his heart is getting the attention it needs. He should have a pacemaker installed on Monday, if all comes clear. We are in prayer for those who are mourning this, this week. We are in prayer for Dan Dupre's, the family of Dan Dupre's nephew, who passed away unexpectedly this week. We are also in prayer for the family of Nadine Wall's mother, who passed away this week. And we are thankful that God gathers around all of us as we mourn those who are in transition. We are praying for those who do mission, for Adam Pollock in Africa, that he continue to be strong enough, for Dave and for Leah Preston, as David continues to fight his cancer. And we are thankful for those who are watching over family members far and wide. Jeanette Henderson got word yesterday that Her mother was taken to the hospital, and Jeanette thinks this might be for the last time. So we are in prayer for them. And just as we look at this long list of prayers that we are lifting up in this community and family of faith, we may be buoyed by bells and babies and the Bible and the word that it brings so that we together might find values-based happiness. May it be so. Carrie, I'm also in prayer today for those who've had a little too much snow and water. Please join me in prayer. Creative God, you have the ultimate power in your being, the power to bring anything into being and the power to annihilate. But you have given to us the power to love and to worship, and to heal, and to comfort. And so we pray that you would use us, especially for all of these concerns that we lift up to you today. We thank you, O God, for your word of truth spoken to us by the Christ, for the heritage of prophecy and teaching, interpreting that has preserved your word. We pray that we will take it to our hearts 
and that what was heard through Jeremiah, let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully, will be lived out in the way in which we live. We pray, O God, for those who doubt that your creative word is still at work. We pray for greater discernment for those deceived by human words purported to be from you. And we pray for patience for those waiting your word of wisdom, decision, guidance, comfort, and hope. Lord God, receive us even as we bring to you the words that we were given by Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Both Bruce's, I apologize, I forgot one prayer request. We learned that Connie Hodgkins did pass away in hospice. Um, She passed away Friday afternoon. Her sons are planning a memorial service at a date to be determined in February. Thank you. Today we all are called to be disciples of the Lord, to help the set the captive free, make love share of sore, to feed the hungry, quench their thirst, make love and peace our fast. To serve the poor and homeless first, our ease and comfort last. God made the world and is birth, ordained a human race, to live and to
Well, I hope you have a great day today and that uh, people will know that you have been with the body of Christ. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.